attention, please. All right, we're going to do a uh, little bit of a quiz for an eye professional today. Zach is our resident eye professional, and we're going to give him some quiz words, some vocabulary words from the eye profession, and we're going to see how well he does. So I'm going to put the, the words up here on the screen for you. You're going to see the definition. We're going to put him on the spot and see if he knows what those are. And he's re- pretty happy about it. I really haven't seen these. He hasn't. Okay, so number one, what is it? Mike, put it up there. Dry eye syndrome. Um, inefficiency to produce tears. That's not bad. That's real close to the efficient definition. All right. One point. We'll give you one point. Next oh, one. Thanks. This one's pretty tough. Y'all could probably get this, right? You don't have to be an eye professional. Color blindness. Um, can't see colors. We'll, we'll give you another point. All right. Good job. <laughs> they do get harder, by the way. Awesome. Number three. Hyperopia. Hyperopia. Opia. Yeah. Hyperopia. Excuse me. <laughs> Hyperopia. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that is where you cannot see near. Oh, all right, all right. Hyperopia. Yes. Yes, yeah, thank oh, you. Oh. All right, next one. Now, I've heard this with the op sound, but you're going to... Myop- myopia? Myopia. 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 That's what happens when you turn 40. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me what it means. You lose your ability to see things up close. Well, actually, that I, he's right. He's right because it's nearsightedness. Yes. Well, nearsightedness. No, nearsightedness. No, 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 you no, can no. see things. No, I'm wrong. Ah, yes, I'm right. wrong. Yes. I was counting on you to be wrong on at least one. Awesome. We're not even to the hard one. The yet. doctor would be so proud of you right now. Amblyopia. Amblyopia. That's where one eye does not see very well, also known as lazy eye. Lazy eye. Woo! I'm impressed. Are you impressed? You should be. Presbyopia. <laughs> this is one of my favorites, and I'll tell you. Presbyopia. That is having trouble seeing things up close. Okay, but it's it's Greek for... God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't speak Greek. Yeah, yeah, he didn't study Greek. For elder eye. For elder eye? Elder eye. Also known as after 40. Yes. I've got two of those elder yeah. eyes right now. Yeah. Okay. Strabismus. Strabismus. That is where the eyes don't focus straight forward. It's where they kind of... They're off. And just for fun, can you give us an actor, a famous actor, who has this condition? Uh, no. Okay, thank you. Y'all give him a hand. Marty Feldman. How many of you know who Marty Feldman is? Now, today we're uh, in our second talk in our series, Louder Than Words, and we're talking about vision tests today. What we did just for fun, we, we got some of the worst glasses we could find. Zach brought these to us. And, dude, it is like, you know when you know on, on TV or movie shows when they show you what's, what's coming out of the eyes of like an insect where you see eight things? That's what these glasses do. I, I should wear these every week. There's like triple of you. Um, but we put these on the teenagers, and we gave them an optical course to go through. And here's what we came up with. Got some sound?
at the end, they had to go through a maze. It was a pen paper, and they had to do the maze, and that's why they can't see. It was, it was really pretty funny. The, the thing that scared me, though, there were, I think, two teenagers that wore them, walked straight in line, ran right across the stuff, came back, what, what's the difference? What's so bad about that? Like, dude, you need to go see Zach soon. If you can see it, because y'all need to try them. You try them on afterwards. They will mess you up, give you a headache. You know, walking around. So uh, now, how many of you suffer from one of the conditions that we mentioned earlier? One of the, the, the dry eye, color blindness, nearsighted, farsighted. How many of you? All right. Well, what if I told you that um, almost all of us, well, actually all of us do suffer from a different eye condition. And that's eye trouble, the letter I. What if I told you that Every person who's ever lived has suffered with eye trouble. Would you agree with me? Doesn't matter whether you agree with me. But yes, good, good. You're on the same page. Well, here's, here's part of the issue. Um, when, whenever I am focusing on me, can I possibly see you clearly? No. Mirror, mirror. You like my bling bling mirror? That's my daughter's, but yes, isn't it sweet and sparkly? So when I'm looking at me, I could very possibly walk right past you and never see you, right? You could be a hurting individual on the side of the road with a broken down car. And I'm on my way to church. Some of y'all are remembering. Because 90% of our church drove right by the lady we planted out there last week. You could drive right by and never see him because you're so focused on you. Now, honestly, some of you are better at hiding this than others. Some of you have the little mirror and maybe even the compact mirror you just... Pop a little look every now and then. Some of you move up, you're, you know, you're kind of like this mirror, a little bit bigger so you can see more. But some of you, you're the full-length mirror, checking yourself out all the time. Does my butt look good in these? I mean, I read the stuff you put on Facebook. Dude, you're so self-absorbed. I'm like, if I thought that, I would never publish it. But y'all just keep throwing it out there. Because it's about me. It's all about me. Right? Yeah, y'all don't like that one so much. Let me try to give you the spiritual conditions that correspond with the physical eye conditions. Spiritual dry eye syndrome. It's a lack of compassion caused by a, dry, by, a, by a hard heart, not a dry heart, by a hard heart. It's the inability to feel anything or shed any tears over anyone other than yourself. Spiritual dry eye. Spiritual color blindness. The inability to care about certain people because of the color of their skin. Racial insensitivity. Let me tell you something. You have never looked into the eyes of someone who does not matter to God. So you can't be a fully devoted follower of Christ and be a racist. And, and by the way, what color do you think Jesus was? It probably weren't white. He didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes, fair skin. I'm just guessing he was Jewish. So I'm guessing his skin was darker, his hair was darker, and his eyes were darker. But I'm grateful that he didn't care about the color of my skin. What he cared about was the condition of my heart. 
Spiritual farsightedness. This would be the individual at church that sends money all over the world. And there, there are a lot of these. They'll send money all over the world to missions and ignore people right next door. But then you got the spiritual nearsightedness. These are the people who don't care or don't even acknowledge that someone outside of Palestine even exists. Spiritual lazy eye. They just ignore everything everywhere. Spiritual elder eye, also known as deacon. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's my favorite. Greek for deacon dipstick. Those whose hearts grow more hardened with age. And not all deacons are like that. It's just most deacons I know are like that. Spiritual misaligned eye. That's the eyes focused on the wrong things. That's the eye trouble. Well, if we all have it, if every person who's walked the planet has this eye trouble, is there a cure? Yes, of course there is. We wouldn't be talking about it. In Mark chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, we're going to walk through a whole bunch of verses here in Mark chapter 8. But let me give you the uh, kind of the background. Now, in the first part of the chapter, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Now, most of the time you've heard Jesus feeding how many? That's a different story. Two different times he fed thousands of people. At the first part of Mark chapter 8, he feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and just a few fish. The Pharisees come up immediately after this big miracle where Jesus feeds 4,000 people and they ask for a sign from heaven. All right, so Jesus takes the bread, multiplies it till thousands of people have eaten. And by the way, we only know for sure that the number of 4,000, that represented just the men. They usually didn't count the women and children. So it very easily could have been over 10,000 people that he fed that day with seven loaves of bread. He multiplies it and puts it out. And the Pharisees are like, that's not good enough. They go old school on him and they say, we want fire from heaven or bread from heaven. So they're, they're going old school and they're talking about Moses and Elijah. Moses in the Old Testament, remember, he, Big Mo, he's the one who got them started out of the, the land of uh, Egypt. And remember when they, there were millions this time, there were millions of people out there in the desert and they're not being fed. And so he prays to God and God produces something called manna. It's this little wafer-like substance, and manna actually means what is it? Because they come out of their tents that morning, they see it, and they're like, what's that? What's that? What's that? And that's the name stuck. Jesus fed, they called it bread from heaven, this manna. I mean, not Jesus, Moses did. God did through Moses, fed them bread from heaven, this manna. So they're saying, do something like Moses did. Or Elijah, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is Elijah, when he, would, he thinks he's the only prophet of God left in this wicked land. Israel had turned their backs on God. And so they gather up all these prophets of Baal and Asherah and they say, okay, he has this great idea, man. This is awesome. This is like one of the first, um, first games like I was thinking about in Cowboy Stadium. If they were to do this in Cowboy Stadium, you know it would be packed out. And because he says, let's get all of your prophets and you build an altar and you call out to your God. You, you have your, your bull up there, but you don't put the fire on the altar. Let's call, you call out to your God. And then after that, I'll call out to my God. And whichever God answers with fire from heaven, he's the real God. And everybody's like, that's a great idea. And so the prophets of Baal and Asher, they build it and they go. And, and it tells us they're cutting themselves. They're begging and pleading because their lives are online. They know it. Oh, and, and <laughs> Elijah, he's making fun of him. He's like, maybe you should be louder. Maybe he's distracted. At one point, he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe you should knock louder. So they did. They're cutting themselves. Ah, and nothing happens. So after several hours, they're, I'm, they're worn out. This is aerobics for three or four hours trying to get their God to pay attention, who is no God. And then Elijah builds his temple and he says, cover it with water. Build his altar, not his temple. 
Dude, I'm trying to go too fast. Covers it with water. Covers it again. Covers it again. Water just pouring off the side. That's not how you start a fire. And then he says, God, would you answer from heaven and show these people that I did this because you commanded me, not because I'm anything. God, I am your servant. Show these people the real God today. Fire comes from heaven. It wipes out the whole sacrifice, wipes out all the water. And you know what the people said? The Lord, he is God. He's God. He's God. So these people, these Pharisees are going, do something from heaven that is so majestic that we will know that you are God's representative. You know what Jesus did? It says in the first part of the chapter, he sighs deeply. Just goes, oh. and he says, no sign is going to be given to you. Why, would, why wouldn't he show himself? was because the Pharisees had chosen to be blind. They had chosen not to believe in everything that Jesus had done up to this point. And so he's not going to waste his time with people who choose to be blind. Now, the disciples, they were in a little bit different position. And so instead of showing himself to all of these folks, what they do is they get into the boat and they're going to go the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret. There's two different names, same thing. So they get in a boat and they're going to go the other side. We pick it up in verse 14. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. What did they just witnessed? 4,000 people being fed. Okay, just keep that in mind. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Remember that sentence right there. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. (laughs) Can you just see them? Yeast, yeast, bread. Oh no, he knows we didn't bring any bread. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Jesus knows what they are saying. So he says, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve. Now, just for for reference sake, these are the small baskets, like you would use a bread basket type thing. They pick up twelve baskets full afterwards, after he feeds five thousand. And then he says, and when I fed the four thousand with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven. They said, these are honking baskets that might take two men. Seven baskets full afterwards. And Jesus says, don't you understand yet? Don't you see? Can you comprehend what's going on? Now, see, the disciples totally disregarded Jesus' reference to Pharisees and to Herod. They focused in on this yeast thing. Why worry about how much bread you have when you got Jesus in the boat with you? Makes no sense whatsoever. So Jesus rebukes them because their eyes were blind, their ears were deaf, their hearts were hard. They were no better than those outside the kingdom of God, even though they had been walking with Christ for some time at this point. But see, the rebuke was not just because they failed to understand the idea of yeast. The rebuke was, you don't get who I am. You don't get why I'm on the planet in the first place. Jesus rebukes them pretty hard here because they hadn't figured out he's God's son, why he's on the planet. Now, before we get too hard on the disciples, don't we do the same thing? Haven't you ever had God meet a need, a major need in your life? And the next time 
You're in trouble. What about me? And your friend says, God met your need last time. What about me? Right? Do we do that? Completely disregard everything that God's done in your life up to this point, and you focus on me. What about me, God? God's like, don't you get it? I've given you the word of God, my provision for the people of God from the beginning of time till now. I've worked in your life, God is saying to you, from, the, from your conception until now. And you forget so easily. Next time you're in, in need, I want, I want to challenge you to do this. Next time you're really sucking wind, serve somebody else. I had a girl years ago that was, that was suicidal. Beautiful girl. From the outside, you would never have known. And she came to me and we were kind of going through some stuff. And, and uh, I said, you know what you need to do? You need to go on this mission trip with us. So we go out to Alpine, Texas, and we start doing backyard Bible clubs and all this stuff. Within two or three days, she had completely gotten her focus off of her problems and onto somebody who was worse off than her. She came back from that trip a totally different person because she served someone else. So the next time you're really hurting, try taking your eyes off of yourself and put them on God and serve somebody else for just a little while. And next time you ask, you, you pray through this. Those of you who are really struggling right now, I challenge you to pray this. God, what is it you want me to learn through this trial that I'm going through? Not why is this happening to me? Ask, what do you want me to learn, God? And see if God doesn't begin to show you something about you that you need to change. And maybe it's not the other person that needs to change. Maybe it's you. We're so much like this man in the next section. Verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Part of the reason that, that he said don't go back into this village of Bethsaida, Bethsaida had rejected Jesus Christ, rejected everything, and so he wasn't going to go back there. He wasn't going to send a man who had just been healed from blindness back there to talk to people who had chosen not to follow him not to follow Jesus. So he says, you go back to your own home and you tell them what I've done for you. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament record seven blind men who were healed. But this is the only two-stage miracle that Jesus ever performed. I've often wondered about this. Why did he spit? Why did he do that? Why, why did the guy, at first he could see kind of, and, and obviously this guy had seen before something had happened and he'd lost his vision because he knew that, that people were moving around but they looked like trees. If he'd been blind from birth, he wouldn't have known they were looking like trees. But here's the deal. He met Jesus. Jesus does this healing. God always has, has something going on. This is in the sequence of the whole chapter. And we'll come back to this in just a second. But, but the first people, the, the Pharisees, chose not to follow God, chose not to listen to him. Then the disciples, they had met God, but they couldn't see clearly. And they're just like this blind man. Then God brings this blind man on the scene as an object lesson. Because here's the deal. Many of you have met Christ. 
but you can't see anyone else or what God wants you to do because you're focused on you. And your life was never meant to be about you. Your life is about God. And you will never experience fulfillment, satisfaction in this lifetime till you figure out it was never intended to be you. There's this huge thing called God's will for the planet. And you get in on God's will, you experience what God created you to do, and there is nothing like it. But you have to get the focus off of yourself. And, and you know, here's, here's the problem. The reason most of us um, aren't tuned into God is because we spend 167 hours a week. There's 168 hours a week. 167 hours a week looking at ourselves. What about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? And then we might spend one hour in church. What about God? What about me? What about God? What about me? Do you see the math is wrong? Which one are you going to focus on more? If you spend 167 hours a week thinking about you and one hour thinking about God, which one are you going to focus on? You. Or, you know, maybe once or twice a month, maybe once or twice a year you go to church, you're not going to get a clear picture of who God is and how much He loves you and what He wants for your life. Now, don't feel guilty. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm just saying, does this not make sense? If I focus on God most of the time, who am I going to reflect to other people? You like that? That's pretty bright, isn't it? Now you get, yeah, now you see what I go through every week. I can see your eyes when I do this. Oops. Ah, oh, there we go. Got Dwayne. Had to make sure and get Dwayne. We are so much like this guy in, in the story. And, and I didn't even put this on there, but here's a verse that, that I was thinking about this morning. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we Christians have no veil over our faces. We can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him. Very simple principle. The idea is the more I look to Jesus the more he begins to make me look like Jesus. The less I look at Jesus, the less time I spend with him, the less my life will look like Jesus. So the goal is that I look at Jesus so much that when you and I encounter one another, you don't even see me, you see my Savior. Does that make sense? Jesus rebuked these followers for their lack of vision, their lack of understanding. And then he brings this object lesson along and, and God just doesn't waste anything. Now check out what happens next. Verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and they went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say you're one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah. And often when Jesus asks his disciples a question, he is about to take them into some new teaching. The responses of the people were flat out wrong. Was Jesus John the Baptist come back to life? No. Was he Elijah come back to life? No. They were totally blind to who Jesus was. But then Jesus cuts to the chase. And really, here's the main thing. He looks at his disciples, his followers, and he says, but who do you say I am? And that's the question he has for you today. Who do you say Jesus is? Because see... <laughs> Jesus was not just some good man. 
He's not just some moral teacher. If he knew he was lying to people, he's not good. He's not moral. If he knew he wasn't God's son and he claimed to be God's son, he does it all through the New Testament, he's not a good man. He's a liar. If he doesn't know that he's not God's son, he's nuts. He should be locked up in a mental institution if he just thinks he's God's son and he's not really God's son. So you got liar, you got lunatic, or the third possibility is maybe he really is who he says he is. And then he's my Lord. And when he comes as Lord, he comes to take over. He doesn't come to choose your side. He comes to take charge and you choose his side. And that's how you find out whether you're going to go to heaven or not, to be in on his side. Peter speaks for the whole group and he says, you're the Messiah. You are the chosen son of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Now, there's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 16. Here's uh, verse 17. As soon as he said this, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, Simon Peter, son of John. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Jesus says, yes, you've got it, Peter. You understand who I am and my purpose. And you've got to understand, there are 16 chapters in the book of Mark. Up to this point, this is in Mark chapter 8. Up to this point, the whole focus, the whole question has been, who is Jesus? Who is this dude that just shows up on the scene? Right here, from this confession on, the rest of the book focuses on What kind of Messiah is he? That's your first one on your listening guide. And what does it mean to follow him? You got eight more chapters in the book of Mark. And it's what kind of Messiah, what type of God's son, what type of God is he? And what does it look like? What does a follower look like who follows him? So let's look very quickly at what are some, what kind of Messiah is he? What are some characteristics? Number one, he was a compassionate Messiah compassionate compassion means to hurt with you ever had someone show you compassion when you went through a tough time they're the people who hurt with you walk with you through some difficult time in your life matthew 9 36 says when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd you ever felt confused and helpless as you're facing life the bible says that your messiah has compassion on you And he wants to help you. The word compassion in the New Testament is only applied to Jesus, the Messiah. Now, it is applied to the the, uh, Good Samaritan, but he's a fictional character. Jesus was just telling the story. So the only human being to live and breathe who ever was called compassionate in the New Testament was Jesus Christ himself. And the Bible tells us that Jesus felt compassion when he encountered the sick, when he encountered the blind. He felt compassion when he encountered the demon-possessed. He felt compassion for those who had lost loved ones. He felt compassion for hungry people, for lonely people, for confused people. Does that describe just about everybody? Jesus has compassion for the planet, for anybody who's breathing. What kind of Messiah is he? One who hurts with those who hurt. One who rejoices with those who rejoice. And by the way, isn't it easier to rejoice with some or to hurt with someone who hurts than to rejoice with someone who rejoices? You notice that? When someone goes through a devastating loss, it's, it seems some, to me, it seems that it's much easier to go, oh, I don't know how you can make it through that. Let me pray for you. But if someone wins the lottery, how many of us are going, yes, you, are, you won the lottery. Sweet Jesus, I bless you. No, we're like, why wasn't it me? How come I couldn't win the lottery? Come on, God. Right? Jesus had compassion. Number two, he was considerate. 
1 Samuel 16, 7. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Aren't you glad? People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Dude, I used to spend so much time when I was a teenager fixing my hair. I had long hair. My ears were covered up, and, and I played baseball. And uh, I used to go in. I'm not proud of this. I used to go in on game day because we would get out of school early, and then we'd have to be at the field. And I would go in on game day and take a shower and wash my hair. And I would take one of those brushes, that, one of those rolling brushes, you know, and I would dry it so that it curled either under or out, depending on my mood that day. So sometimes, you know, it would go, it would curl right out behind my hat. And I thought I was looking hot. <clears throat> yeah, I know. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? I was so caught up. And it's gone. It's gone. God has a sense of humor. Doesn't he? At least my head's round. That's what everybody... By the way, it does not make a bald man feel good if you go, well, at least you ha- your head's shaped correctly for bald hair. I'm going to be bald no matter what shape my head is. I had some of my friends, you know, they do the comb over thing. My dad does that. I was never going to be a comb over guy. My dad walks in the panhandle of Texas. You always got to be walking the correct direction because it goes. <laughs> my dad was the inspiration for this haircut right here. Because I thought, dude, not with this crowd of people, I can never have a comb over in this crowd because y'all would waste me on a constant basis. But God is considerate. Unlike people in this room, God is considerate. He sees pe- people differently than you and I do. He looks at the heart. And, and this next story is kind of where this is the whole focus. And I'm going to finish this up as quickly as I can. Luke seven thirty six through 48. One of the Pharisees, religious leaders, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was um, eating there, she brought a a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, he's thinking, if this man were a prophet... He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. When Caleb was little, when he could first talk, we taught him, I would say, hey, Caleb, preach. And he'd go, sinner. (laughs) This is the sweetest thing ever. Because if I'd want to jack with somebody, I'd say, hey, Caleb, go over and preach to that kid. And he'd go, sinner. And, you know, he's he's like this little midget preacher guy. And, you know, we'd dress him up. and, And he was awesome. He'd get into it. Sinner. Of course, Miss Sandy, he was in Miss Sandy's class, and she sent him back one day. And, and so she, she taught him to say, preach, and he'd go, sinner, and then he'd go, Holy Spirit. She said, you have him preach at me, I'll get him filled with the Holy Ghost. This guy in his mind, he doesn't say it out loud, but he's pointing at that girl in his mind, and he's going, sinner. How dare she enter my house? Sinner. Let's look at the rest of it. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Go ahead, teacher. Because he's thinking, it's in my head. He doesn't know. Go, yes, teacher. Yes, Jesus. Tell me what you'd like to say. How many people go to church like that? Don't answer that. Simon replied. Then Jesus told this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? 
Simon, pretty sharp guy, he answers, says, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven, which totally jacked everybody up in the crowd. I mean, he even forgives sins. You know, and that's one of the reasons they wanted to kill him, because he said he could forgive sins. And he could because he was God's son. But Jesus and the Pharisee looked at the same person but saw them completely differently. The Pharisee was inconsiderate and judgmental. You see, in those days, everything was open. They didn't have central heat and air, so all of the doors and windows and everything would be open. And it was okay for people to come in and out of those structures. It wouldn't be like today. You walk in my door, you're going to get shot. Um, I mean, I've had people kick in my door, so I'm a little touchy about that. You Knock before you come in my house. Because there's lots of weapons. We were talking about this the other day. We got so much firepower in our house. You don't want to go there. Anyway, so in this day and age, you could just walk in. And it was customary. If somebody was going to have a big old banquet, it was customary for the insignificant people to hang around outside the house so they could see the important people. TMZ existed 2,000 years ago. They didn't start just a few weeks ago or months ago or years ago. They were hanging out because they wanted to see the important people. And this immoral woman was hanging out and she saw the important people. And she had already met Jesus and she wanted to come in. So it wasn't a big deal when she walked in the house. It wasn't a big deal to anyone except the Pharisee because he sees what kind of woman she is and he gets embarrassed for himself or his reputation. Because a, a rabbi, a teacher of that day, you wouldn't talk to a woman in public. You would not eat with a woman in public. Certainly you would not have this type of woman in your home. And he gets real upset. We don't know her sins, but she must have been a woman of the streets and everybody knew what her sins were. <laughs> she comes in and she just falls down at her feet and starts worshiping Jesus, oblivious to everybody else around her. And see, Simon's real problem was blindness. He was looking at himself, but he couldn't see himself. He had looked in Scripture. Pharisee knows the Scripture. And it became real easy for him to say, Oh, God says, don't do this. You did that. God says, don't do this. That's one of yours. God says, don't do this. That's yours. But he never saw himself. And the sinful woman, immoral woman, threw herself at Jesus because she saw herself. She didn't see anybody else around. And she fell at the feet of Jesus. And she said, I need what you have to offer. So she worshipped him because he wiped out all of her sin. Her tears, her humble attitude, and her expensive gift demonstrate a changed heart. Everything that Simon neglected to do, to do, the woman not only did, she did better. Jesus didn't reject her tears or her ointment for his feet because her actions were evidence of a changed heart. Our actions don't earn us a place in God's family but our actions demonstrate whether we're in God's family. So what have your actions been saying lately? Have you been focused on your life or the life that God created for you to live? 
Simon looked at her past, and the cool thing about Jesus is he looked to her future. You want to know what kind of Messiah we, we serve? He considers our potential. Jesus can take any sinner and make them into a child of God. And what we believe about God will determine how we treat other people. So how have you been treating folks lately? 